What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the ND Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these ND Hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. It's not uncommon for software engineers to get into programming because of video games. The story usually goes that they played a lot of games when they were a kid, and they were just so excited to be on the other side of that equation and eventually build and design and create and produce these games as a game developer rather than just a player. And usually when I talk to these engineers, I ask what they're doing now, and they've completely sold out. They're working for the man, they're at Facebook or Google making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to make web apps. They've completely lost that childhood spark, that dream to go make the games that inspired them. Not Dave Geddes. Dave is doing something near and dear to my heart. He's actually making games that teach people how to code. He's not giving them away for free. He's selling them for a lot of money, hundreds of dollars in fact, and actually sustaining a living by doing it. Uh, I had a really good time talking to Dave. He's somebody who follows his dreams, doesn't give up on them. Uh, there's a lot to learn from how he was able to do that. Enjoy the episode. So cool, I'm glad you're, you're here. We're just gonna jump into things. Kind of the origin of how he came across you is five years ago, I was teaching my brother how to code. I was like, you should be a front-end engineer. It'll be super easy. You can you know, basically work from home. You can make a ton of money. And he wanted to be a writer at the time. So I was like, you could basically work two or three days a week and then spend the rest of the, your time writing. And so after I taught him how to code, I was like, before you apply to jobs, like you need some kind of project that you can work on that'll be the culmination of everything that you've learned. All the skills put together, and you can take that to potential employers, wow them and blow their socks off. And also it'll just help you make sure that you're going to do good for interviews. And so I had a bunch of different ideas for projects at the time. And one of them was this idea of a game that would help you learn how to code something. So I'd been playing these tower defense games. They're super fun. They're really intuitive. Anybody, whether you're a gamer or not, could just jump into a tower defense game online. And like you would just get super addicted and sucked in for hours at a time. Yeah, I love those. They're super good, right? And I was like, why don't you make a tower defense game, Channing, and use that to teach people Flexbox. And so we did. We created flexboxdefense.com. Basically, anybody who needs to make websites needs to learn Flexbox. And his game turned out super good. He launched it on Hacker News, got a lot of traffic, eventually got a job. And this is, again, five years ago in February 2016. I've been checking his stats. Like I just checked this morning. Like His game still gets like 25,000, 30,000 page views a month, five years later, <laughs> with him doing literally nothing. It doesn't even rank wow. on Google when you search for Flexbox, but it's working. Like People are linking to it. That first tech job is hard to get. It really is. And it, like, it, it helped him that he had me because I was just on him every time he was slacking off or I saw him doing something else. I was like, how's your game going? So it took him a good couple months to finish the game. I mean, it's super basic. It's really ugly. The graphics are terrible. It's kind of buggy, but it was good enough. He put some donations on there, and I think he still makes like a few hundred bucks a month too from people just donating. So you were like his brother slash PM. Exactly. I was like, you gotta, <laughs> I should have taken my cut. Anyway, like fast forward, I've been telling people forever, hey, this is like a really good idea. Why aren't more people making games to teach people how to code? To be fair, I haven't done a lot of searching. Maybe people are, but eventually you popped across my radar a couple months ago and I found mm. Grid Critters. You can find it at gridcritters.com and looking at it right now. This is not a side project hobbyist game. Like this is a legit <laughs> amazing graphics you've got sound effects guides hence tips 
it's an amazing game. And you're teaching people CSS Grid through gaming, doing exactly what I've been saying indie hackers should be doing. And this is not like, you know, a hobby for you. It's real. Like the game costs $99. It costs more than a lot of AAA games that it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to make. And you're selling this online and, and making a living for yourself. Are you full-time on this? I am. Yeah. I have been for, I just passed the four-year mark. Would you mind sharing like your revenue numbers? Like how much do you need to go full-time on a game like this? Well, so I started out with some savings, you know, I was working at Domo and I was making a lot of money, you know, as a open web architect. So I was able to just save it, save it. I was also running a tech conference that was paid. So my savings, I was just building it, getting ready because I've wanted to do my own thing forever. Ever since I was a kid, my dad would make me weed in the garden and I hated it. I put all my energy towards finding ways out of it. My dad has videos of me throwing a tantrum over <laughs> a chore I didn't want to do. But somehow, maybe he manipulated me and tricked me into this. I don't know. But somehow I got the idea that I should sell pumpkins to the neighbors. I planted the seeds. I started growing these pumpkins. And suddenly, weeding was like a delight. <laughs> you know, I was out there weeding it all the time. If I saw one little dinky weed, I'd pull it. Yeah. It didn't feel like a chore at all. Now that I think about it, my dad probably did manipulate me into this. <laughs> a little bit of a Jedi mind tricks on you. Uh-huh. Anyways, I would grow these pumpkins and go out selling them to the neighbors. And I didn't realize the implications of that until much later in life. But I've always wanted to do my own thing. So fast forward to four years ago, I was working at my job and making a lot of money, saving it up for something. And I was miserable. You know, I just, I hated it. I just felt like I was withering away inside, even though I seemed to have everything I needed. High paying job, insurance working with friends. I recruited a bunch of friends to come work with me there, but I was miserable. And then uh, I took my family to see Moana in the theaters. You're probably too young to remember this, but back then you could take a group of people to a large room and watch a movie <laughs> in, a, in a room called a theater. I've heard stories. Anyway, so I, we watched Moana and the whole thing became like a metaphor for my, my journey. You know, Moana was on this island. Everybody seemed happy. She had everything she needed except for that sense of fulfillment and purpose. And <laughs> when it got to the part where she's staring out into the ocean and starts singing, it calls me, I just lost it. <laughs> I lost it. I was weeping in the theater, just hoping my kids didn't see their dad falling apart. But that's what I knew. I couldn't stay at that job anymore. I, I couldn't keep going against my purpose, you know? So talked to my wife and she was on board. She's so awesome and supportive. And I, I quit. I put in my two weeks notice. I didn't have a whole lot going on besides the savings. You know, that was huge. I didn't have much of a plan except I had been putting together my resume because I thought maybe, maybe it's the job. Maybe I'll go get a different job. So I've been building my resume in Apple pages and I couldn't, I couldn't center some text, and it was just driving me crazy. And so I was like, I know, I'll do this in CSS. I know CSS. So I started in CSS. I posted up at McDonald's. One day I took the day off and was just working with an infinite supply of Diet Coke. And this was back when you could go into McDonald's. So I was working on this and I, I had the same problem. I couldn't center the stupid text with uh, CSS. And I'd use Flexbox a bit, you know, at my jobs and whatnot. So I was a little bit frustrated that I had to keep going to that CSS tricks page 
Yeah, I know the exact one with like the two columns, and they uh-huh. tell you exactly like here's how to use Flexbox. I've been there a million times as a reminder. Like, how do you how do you center things again? What does this property mean? Yeah. So yeah, I got frustrated with that, and I was like, ah, I should figure out. I should like really learn Flexbox if I'm going to go get a new job. I'm going to need to know this. So I started coming up with these metaphors to remember the Flexbox properties and what everything does. And I came up with this idea of a crossbow shooting zombies. You know, a guy shooting some zombies using the Flexbox properties. So that really helped. I started using it at work, Flexbox more, and I started teaching people because, you know, everybody struggles with Flexbox. That's universal. And it was actually really helping the people at work. So one of my buddies encouraged me. He's like, hey, you should share this online. I bet this would help a lot of people. I was like, oh, okay. So I created a real crappy email version of it where Every week you'd get a new email showing how to do certain properties and a real junky little code pen exercise to go with it. And at the bottom was a newsletter sign up. I just put it out there. I didn't think much of it until near the same time of this Moana show. I got all of a sudden like 300 people signed up in a single day for my newsletter because of that Flexbox thing I had made. How'd they, how'd they find it? I got really lucky that I made friends with someone who's pretty popular early on. His name's Kent C. Dodds, and he's a buddy of mine. We worked together at Domo. In fact, I helped him get his full-time job there. We kind of coerced the CEO, but that's a different story. He's a machine. He teaches so many people how to code, and I think he's got a bunch of courses up on um, Egghead, I believe. He's just uh, super good at teaching people. He really is. He's He's an awesome guy, too, just all around good guy. But he posted on Twitter about about this thing, and I think that's where most of the signups came from. But anyway, it was just this perfect culmination of what I've been wanting to do, go do my own thing with, hey, here's something that people are already kind of interested in. And so I, I quit my job and I set out to build Flexbox Zombies as like a real version of that Flexbox course that, that I had made. Well, let's, let's pause here for a second because we can't just gloss over the fact that you watched Moana and then you quit your job. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I mean, what does that say about Disney for number one, that they can make a movie that's really made for kids, but you can be there with your kids trying to hold back your tears and then make these life-changing decisions so that you too can be a Polynesian princess headed out to the ocean or whatever she wanted to do. <laughs> what was that like quitting your job? Like, how did you feel about making that decision? Well, it really influenced me. Like I'm wearing coconut shells right now. You can't really see it, but <laughs> it was so impactful. And who knows, like I may have arrived at the same destination had I watched Aladdin or who knows anything else, but it just really struck me because I think deep down I knew that I'm not really cut out for the nine to five, not cut out for the working for somebody else. I need to have my own thing that I'm working towards that I'm building and that sense of autonomy. Like if you've read the book Drive, I think it's by Dan Pink. uh, He talks about the three things that make a, a person happy in their work and it's autonomy, mastery, and purpose. I was missing two of the three with the autonomy and purpose. Yeah, as soon as that Moana came in, it was just the perfect time. And I was like, you know what? I can't I can't worry about health insurance. That's going to suck. There's going to be trade-offs, but I had to just make the jump. I had to kind of overcome that fear and just do it. Did you have a framework in mind for what success would look like once you quit your job? Because the second you don't have a paycheck coming in anymore. Like you're on the clock. You've got a certain amount of time to basically supplement your income or replace your income, or you've got to go back to having a job. And there's a little bit of comfort at least in having some sort of plan for like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And here's how fast it's going to take me. And here's how I'm going to make money. 
so at at the React Rally conference, I was talking to my friend Ryan Florence, who I've always looked up to, and I showed him a little side, another side project I had. I'm a big believer in side projects. I think they're so important, and they you know they push you to learn new things. Anyway, I was showing him a side project. It was a Trello app, a little bit different, but basically a Trello clone. And I I pitched to him, what if I what if I started my own thing doing this? And he's like, you're gonna quit your job and do a to do list. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was pretty crushing. So plenty of people have done it. Plenty of people have regretted it. Yep. But um at that same conference I was talking to John Linquist, the one of the founders of Egghead, and he told me about a course by Amy Hoy called 30 by 500. And it's pretty pricey. It was a couple grand, I think. It goes into that into the marketing and the audience building side of things. You know, I'm a builder like I like to build stuff. I didn't know at the time hardly anything about marketing or launching my own products. And so I, I bought 30 by 500. I, I was devouring the content and I started building that list. And to date, there's about, I think, 70,000 people have played Flexbox Zombies and they're enrolled on my email list. You know, you get some unsubscribers every time you email. I think the standard's about 0.5%. This last time I lost, uh, I think, 300 subscribers. But that's just part of it, you know. I've built up this giant email list. That was part of my plan, but I don't know. You can't spend so much time trying to find the perfect plan before you jump. You know, you'll get paralyzed. You'll you'll never find it. You'll never find the perfect plan, and then because things change, and you'll learn so much just by doing it. There's so much to be said for striking the right balance there. Where if you have zero plan whatsoever, you're probably going to repeat a lot of preventable mistakes that people have already made that you probably shouldn't make. And if you have yep. like nothing but a plan, you don't have any sort of bias towards taking action, you're going to be one of the many people uh, I know who are always talking about how they're eventually going to start something one day, but you know they're waiting for the very perfect thing to come around because they don't trust enough that like once you get started, you're going to start figuring out, so to speak, how to build the plane on the way down. And like that's just necessary. You can't predict everything in advance. And I like the fact that you decided to take uh, 30 by 500. That's a course that teaches you how to think about coming up with business ideas and how to like prevent making some of the preventable mistakes. And like, it really de-risks things because you're not aimlessly on the internet reading random articles. Like you're reading, you know, material presented by someone who's an expert. Amy Hoyes taught a lot of people to start businesses and a lot of them have made very successful businesses. And like, I've had a few of them like Brendan Dunn on the podcast. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like what, what are like the big takeaways you got out of 30 by 500, if you remember any of them? I think the biggest takeaway was to think long-term your goal as an entrepreneur is to build trust, build people's trust, to deliver value and value and value over and over again through your blog posts and small products. And in my case, Flexbox Zombies, I gave it away for free. That's why there's so many people that signed up for it. And people want to reciprocate. You know, if you give them so much value, eventually when you give them an opportunity to, to reciprocate that, like I do with grid critters, you know, 99 bucks, a ton of people want to reciprocate and buy it. And then they still get something out of it. So it's just this good, it's this good cycle, you know? That was my plan was to give that away for free and then figure out what was next. My wife was a little bit wary of the idea of spending six months and giving the end result away for free. I bet. But <laughs> doesn't sound like much nope. of a solid business plan. No. But when I launched that, within about a couple of months, there were 12,000 people all of a sudden signed up and on my email list. So I started just writing blog posts about Flexbox and whatever other developer related things I could think of. And 
I had this experiment in my mind. Okay, I'm going to build this next game. Just see if people will buy it. I really had no idea. And I was actually had a lot of anxiety around it. Why would someone buy a product when there's free versions? You know, there's free things out there to learn. CSS grid. There's a ton. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can learn all this stuff without spending a penny. But I built this thing and I built my, kept building my audience, giving them some inside peeks into what I was building. You know, I launched the thing and I went on vacation because I just couldn't take it. It was just too much to stress about. So my wife and I, we went on a little staycation with the kids downtown Salt Lake at a hotel. I remember I was sitting there at the pool with my legs dangling in the water, watching the kids fight, you know, as they do. And my phone just started blowing up. I was ignoring it and then it just kept going boom, 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 notifications. So I, I took a look to see what it was, thinking it was probably just that dang in-law group chat that just drives me nuts. You know, everybody has one of those. And you can't get rid of them. You can't unsubscribe from a... <laughs> you, you can't, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't cancel your in-laws. Hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was that. But I checked my phone. I saw it was notifications from Teachable, which is the platform I used to host my courses back then. And it was just pre-order, pre-order, pre-order for, for grid critters. I just, I couldn't believe it. That was my first taste of making a buck directly from my own thing. And it just, it transformed me. And Amy, she said that it would, you know, she said, you'll never be the same after you make that first dollar. And I thought that was a little bit cliche, but it's true. It gave me the taste for that. And I made, when I launched that, I made like $30,000. Crazy. Which replenished some of my runway, just gave me so much motivation. Such an interesting point about uh, the fact that you're basically building your audience. This is a term I've been using a lot this year, social capital. And the Mm. entire idea behind social capital is that you're building goodwill with people. You're putting out all this information. You're telling people how to do things, how to learn things. You give them the behind the scenes sneak peek as to how you're learning the things that you're doing and what your strategies are. And it's all free. And it seems like you're not getting very much in return, but you're actually building up this goodwill, which gives you basically four really distinct things. Trust, reciprocity, sharing, and cooperation. So trust, like if you're teaching people for free all the time, they start to build trust and like, hey, this guy Dave is like a really good teacher. You know, when he puts stuff out, it's like usually pretty high quality. So if he puts something out in the future, like I trust that it's going to be good. Well, yeah, and they, they try the solution you recommend and it works for them. You know, so your Amy talks about you give them a tiny win mm-hmm. and that builds that builds the trust. Exactly. And I think a lot of people's model of the world is that if you put out information, everybody's just going to evaluate that information on its own. They're just going to be like these objective little robots that look at it and assess how good it is. But like, that's not really true. We're always using shortcuts. And I think the people that we're getting information from is a huge shortcut we all use to say, do I trust this person? And if so, like, then this information must be good. Do I not know this person? Then if so, you know, I'm going to be a little bit wary of the information. So you're building trust. You're building reciprocity. This is just like a, a thing that's woven into us like at a very animalistic instinctual level when somebody helps us we kind of want to like give back to them and figure out how to help them in some way because that's kind of what helps society work and so when you're giving people stuff for free and then you launch something that costs money there's kind of like a personal thing there it's like man dave's helped me so much like i want to buy his course i'm gonna support him like i have goodwill towards dave that reciprocity is so valuable i have had many people reach out and offer hey can i can i pay you for flexbox zombies i got so much out of it and I'm like, nah, but you can go by that, <laughs> you know? I, I think you're so spot on with that. 
And then the last two are sharing and cooperation. You know, maybe it's a form of reciprocity, but people want to share what you're doing because you're putting out a lot of stuff for free. There's more stuff to share and people feel like they you know, they owe you and they want to help out. So they tell their friends about it. Happens a lot with indie hackers. And then cooperation, like people want to cooperate with you. You know, if you ask them to do something or you, you know, you want some help, people are willing to give you help and work together because they're like, I trust you and I want to work with good people. And out of all the people in the world, like you're sort of de-risked as a person to cooperate with. And I think it's so hard for a lot of people to, to understand like why it's important to build an audience and put things out for free because there's no real gauge like there's no real way to measure all these things there is no like trust meter on twitter that tells you how many people trust you or how deeply they care about you, you just see the number of people on your mailing list or the number of people you have on twitter but i think if you're going to do something especially educational it's so invaluable to have built up a ton of goodwill so you get all that trust and reciprocity and sharing and cooperation later on and almost every single person i've talked to who creates courses or who educates people, they all started by building an audience. And to, the best way to do that is to give away something for free. But going back to that sharing aspect, one of my favorite books for business is called Personal MBA. Love it by uh, Josh Kaufman. He's been on the podcast before and we went through basically his book chapter by chapter and then kind of explained the entire thing a couple years ago. One of the things I think has helped my games become so popular is I accidentally did one of the things he recommends in that book, which is to build remarkability, he calls it, into your product. So like, mm -hmm. think about the one wheel. Have you seen the one wheel or heard of the one wheel? No, never heard of it. So it's like an electric skateboard with a big old tire in the middle. Oh, I've seen people riding these in San Francisco and Seattle. Yeah, so I have one of those and I love it. And whenever I ride it around, people are, especially kids, are like, whoa, look at that. And they yell out from across the street, what is that? And I yell, one wheel. <laughs> you know, and then they know to go buy it. Or they, you know, beg their mom or whatever for Christmas, onewheel.com. But that product has remarkability just so baked in. And I don't think that they have had to do any marketing. And I haven't done any marketing. You know, my games are so different from everything else that's out there that people, they're remarkable. So people remarked. So I haven't spent anything on ads. The only marketing I have is my content, you know, the content marketing on my blog. But that's, that's it. Yeah. There's a lot of myths out there about like why products get shared by word of mouth. I think probably like the number one myth is like, if you just make something really good, people will share it. People do like to make good recommendations. Like nobody wants to recommend things to their friends that are crappy, but there's all these other things that align with people doing word of mouth growth. I think for example, like aligning yourself with events that people are already talking about. There's a guy actually who has a newsletter. I forget what it's called, uh, but he writes about like politics. And specifically what he does is he takes the liberal point of view and the conservative point of view and he kind of puts them, pits them against each other on particular issues and tries to sort of figure out like, you know, what's the actual truth here? And you know when his newsletter blew up? Around election time because everybody was talking about the election. And because everybody already had a lot of energy and interest in talking about that, suddenly the thing he was building was being talked about. It's not like his newsletter got any better around the election. It was just sort of on theme with something people were talking about. So can we go and kind of like walk through your process for making some of these games? Because we, we sort of just like blitzed through the fact that you made Flexbox Zombies and you grew that mailing list to, how big did it get? So 70,000 people enrolled and 60,000 people active on the mailing list. First of all, you talked about the fact that you did kind of like some influencer marketing for Flexbox Zombies. I mean, you had friends who were influential in the space and that's how you got like your first few hundred subscribers. How did you go yeah. from a few hundred subscribers to 70,000 people on your email list? I don't know, <laughs> is the short answer. I mean, that's why I attribute it to remarkability because 
as far as I can tell, people are just sharing it word of mouth. I had one guy tell me, he wrote in and said he's a junior engineer, just got his first job, and he was working with a senior engineer. And the senior senior engineer was like, how do you know so much about Flexbox? Because <laughs> he was just flying through it, you know? Because that's the point of my games is that it gives you that muscle memory, gives you that intuition about the tech. So you don't have to go look things up. You don't have to stop. And uh, this engineer, senior engineer was just so impressed with this kid who was a master of Flexbox that he asked him, how'd you do that? <laughs> and so then the kid shared Flexbox zombies. So I think you have to have a product that's not just cool, but it has to be really effective for people. And you know, you give them those wins. And then if they, if you give them that, they're going to share it. I mean, you're basically living the dream. I don't know very many uh, indie hackers who would choose to have to do a bunch of marketing when they could do what you're doing and just work on making the products <laughs> actually pretty good. And you know, you wake up a couple years later and you got 70,000 subscribers. Like that's nuts. And one of the trends we've been seeing a lot this year is people building apps that help people make money. So there's this whole creator economy thing going on where you're like, hey, you know, don't just write a newsletter, but write a newsletter that people pay to subscribe to you. And if you can make a platform like that, people want to use it and they can talk about how like they made a lot of money because they're on Substack or whatever platform you made. And what you're doing is you're building tools that kind of make people into like badasses. So Kathy Sierra gave famously a talk about, I think like the minimum viable badass or something like how badass can you make your users? And so like this kid who's talking to the senior developer is like a badass. He's super, really good at CSS Flexbox. And that's because you made him that way. That in and of itself is really remarkable. Kind of a cool way for people to think about the things that they're building is like, okay, if somebody actually uses the thing that you're, you're creating or takes the course that you're creating, like, in what way are they going to be a badass? Like how badass does it make them? And for you, maybe the way it makes them a badass is they don't ever have to look up a reference because they're playing a game. And the game is like one of the few things that people like to do over and over so they can kind of instill mm -hmm. that muscle memory and that practice. And so they come away from it, not just knowing Flexbox, but knowing it reflexively to the point where they don't have to think about it. And like, that's way more badass than almost any other tutorial or video course is going to get you. Totally. I like what you said about what you're doing for the person, the user that comes to you for help with whatever it is. I've made it sound all rosy, but there's been ups and downs as there's going to be in any business. You know, I went through a pretty pretty dark time when I was just pretty discouraged, pretty depressed. I, I got out through that, but I realized thanks to the help of Alex, Amy's partner in 30 by 500, that I had, I kind of lost track. I'd lost sight of the customer. You know, I was thinking about myself. I was thinking about how my business was going to help me and like worrying about my own income, which is, you know, it varies wildly. And I'd completely lost sight of the customer. And as soon as I kind of locked back on onto them, like how I'm, I am helping people, then I got out of that slump, got out of that rut that I was in, you know? How did you manage to do that? The 30 by 500 course gives you basically a way of doing customer research where you're studying questions people ask and forums and problems people have. And you're looking for pain, basically. You're looking for, you know, what is the problem that people are having and then your job is to go and fix it for them, go and make something that can make that pain go away. So I started just doing that a little bit every day. It mostly was a mental thing, just kind of recentered me. If you've done any pottery or seen any pottery, if you're trying to make a pot and it's not centered, it's going to, you know, spin and fly all over the walls. So you got to really be centered on the customer, centered on the person, you, on the people you're trying to help. And if you don't, things are going to get out of whack pretty fast. That, that happened to me. I've been through similar periods with indie hackers where I'm just looking at like my internal metrics and my internal goals 
and my to-do list and like everything to do with me, which is pretty unforgivable for something like Indie Hackers because it's a giant community. It's like literally a product that's <laughs> made of people. And like, yeah, there's some code there, but like it's really the people who power everything. And like what I've been doing recently um, is also like directly related to how I met you, which is I'll just like take some time to just read the forum, go through the product directory, read uh, through Twitter. And whenever anybody's doing anything cool, I just send a DM and I'm like, hey, let's talk. So like we <laughs> spoke maybe a month ago and it was just cool talking to you and like learning about what you're doing. Like I don't even have like really an agenda besides just like finding out more about what you're up to and like just like learning about it. And I think... yeah as a side effect of that, I end up seeing, okay, like this is how Indie Hackers is affecting people. And this is what people are working on. And this is why people are motivated. And it's contagious. You know, if people are excited to achieve some goal, whether it's getting better at Flexbox or making money or achieving like freedom so they can quit their job, that's kind of infectious. And when you talk to people, you're like, okay, yeah, this is why I'm doing this thing. I'm reminded of why I'm doing it. And people have all sorts of ideas and suggestions. And it's just way more fun, I think, if you can find a way to bake in that like social interaction and talking to people. So you're not just like heads down coding all day or heads down marketing or building all day. Totally. See that that's a good fit for you. For me, if I was talking to people all day long, I would hate it. <laughs> you know, for me, I would rather be heads down coding all day. Mm -hmm. And that's I think that's cool that you can have a successful business that is a good match for you. How did you like a acquire all the skills to do this because i'm looking through your games like right now i'm literally playing flexbox zombies and like the graphics are super legit like these are professional level graphics you've got a storyline in here too like you're a good writer like where does one acquire the set of skills needed to make a full game like this by yourself and what are the set of skills like what else is there besides writing and graphics and oh, let's see writing's huge i got the writing skill just from reading a ton as a kid and as an adult i love fiction you know i love sci-fi and I read a lot. And I think when you do that, you just naturally become a pretty good writer. There's art. I'm an okay artist. I'm not amazing. You know, I like to sketch things out. And for Flexbox Zombies, I wanted to do it right. I wanted to make it all my games just really awesome. So I actually hired a professional game artist, a concept artist to create the final work. You know, so I'd work with him. My role was a bit more of an art director, I guess you could say. It's like you're giving him like storyboards and sketches and he's turning it into yeah. like this final product, which kind of looks like, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Samurai Jack. It was a show on Cartoon Network, uh -uh. maybe in like the 90s. But the theme of uh, Flexbox Zombies looks exactly like that. It's super cool. I'll check that out. But yeah, so I would work with him and I realized I had done all the things myself for the first one and it turned out okay. But I realized if you can hire people, maybe not full time if your business isn't ready for that, but contractors people who are better at certain things than you are, then you can get a way better end result. But I did all the animations myself for that game and Grid Critters. And then for service workies, I hired a professional game animator, you know, to take it to the next level and add way more polish than I could have done on my own. So I think as an entrepreneur, it's good to have a nice breadth of skills and maybe deep on a couple of areas like I am with code and maybe writing, but areas where you're not as deep as you maybe want to be. There's no shame in outsourcing part of it, you know, to contracting out parts of it. And how do you outsource like an artist or hire an artist? Like where do you go to find a good artist? Do you like test out artists? I'm like, how much does this actually cost you as a, as like a bootstrapper who basically is burning cash? A lot. I've, I've probably um, hired 10 different artists at this point. I go browse artstation.com. I look for art that's got, you know, the style and the, the personality that I that I like and then I reach out to them and say hey are you doing any contracting right now and 
A lot of times they're not, but if they are, then I'll have them do one piece, usually a blog post illustration, and those can range. I've had some artists do a single illustration for 80 bucks. I've had artists want to do it for two grand for a single illustration, wow. and it's just all over the place. But yeah, I try them out, and if the price is good and if their work is incredible, then I go with them. What would you estimate it cost to do all of the art for a game like Flexbox Zombies, Ooh. which has dozens and dozens of chapters and this cool character and like this little wise wizard guy who's guiding you and giving you instructions? I mean, this is like a fully fledged, everything is well designed. If you don't count my own time spent into it, like just the amount I paid to contractors on that one, I think it was about over a little over 10000 Oh, that's like actually not that bad. Could be much worse. Not too bad. We tried to, you know, limit it. But then on a game like Service Workies, when there's way more characters. So Google sponsored that game. So I had basically an unlimited budget. They reached out to me and said, hey, we want you to teach service workers and you can keep the game. I was like, okay, <laughs> sounds good. Dion Almer, who I was, I've been a fan of forever, is the one that reached out. He's the manager of Google Chrome. So they paid for the whole thing. So I went crazy with it. I probably spent 170000 in contractors between animations i hired this german composer guy to write custom music and sound effects like i went all out you know i took it to the next level which was really really fun this is another i think example of why it pays to do something that's unique because okay maybe you're not the only person making coding games but there's really not very many people who are doing it and certainly not many people who are doing it like full time willing to put in as much effort as you are and so if Google is sitting in their boardroom trying to think about like, what are we, what are we going to do to like advertise service workers? Could we do a game? Like, is anyone making a game? They're going to do a search and there's not going to be that many people who come up besides you, you know, and you're going to be like yeah. cream of the crop. And so, so much of like the sort of arbitrary sort of lucky benefits will fall into your lap because you're doing this thing that no one else is doing. And I think it's one of yeah. the biggest reasons why if you're an indie hacker, like you kind of want to just do things that are unique. If all else is equal, like don't copy what everybody else is doing. The, the pressure to copy what other people are doing is immense, especially if you're like going yes. off the rails, you're doing your own thing. It's kind of like you want to look around and say, okay, you know, someone, someone else is doing XYZ, I must do XYZ. They're making a paid course, like I must make a paid course. But uh, I think if you have a little creativity and you anchor to the problem that you're solving, like you're still solving the same problem as other courses, you're helping people learn, but the solution you're being as creative as possible. You're injecting your own like art style yeah. into it and your own format into it. There's no reason to make your solution to problems the exact same as somebody else's. And I like, think that differentiation, that courage, I guess, to do your own thing is kind of what helps you accrue all the luck and all the benefits. Totally. And it's a good, it's a good match for me. And, and when you find a good match, you don't have to pretend or you don't have to like act like somebody else. Like if I was just trying to make videos, I would suck at it. You know, I think I've made a couple of videos and they take me like three weeks. Whereas one of my friends, Tyler McGinnis, he can bust out a video in an hour, you know? So videos isn't a great medium for me, but I've always loved video games and I got in trouble as a kid for playing it too much. You got to find a good match, but to find a good match for you, I think you have to try a lot of different things. Like I fell in love with the idea of pottery because my dad is a potter, an artist. And so I bought a kiln, I bought a pottery wheel, I installed them all in my basement and then they sat there collecting dust for years <laughs> and costing me wife points <laughs> on a regular basis. I probably could have found a cheaper way to try that, but you got to try a lot of things to find something that's just really good. So let's talk about your first paid game. You talked about the fact that you built it. It took you, what, like six, seven months to build Grid Critters? Uh, so Flexbox Zombies was six months. Grid Critters was nine months. 
nine months and you're you basically didn't make a dime in those first like seven plus nine months and here you were hoping that you're gonna have this big launch and that people are gonna pay you money for grid critters what was your initial price for grid critters so i did a pre-order price the pre-order price was 145 bucks the full price was 229 when i launched i've since kind of felt bad like i'll see i would see someone purchase it from the uk and have to pay vat tax you know and so they'd be paying $279 and I was like, ah, oh, that's just too much. So I took a I took a page out of Henry Ford's book where he just kept lowering the price of his cars and revenue, every time he lowered the price, revenue would go up and he'd just keep finding ways to make his cars better and make them more efficiently. So I did that, lowered the price to 179 and sales went up. And then last year I did, a, I put the game on sale to 99 bucks and um, sales have been way more steady and way better since I did that. So I've just kind of left the price up. I recently built a coupon feature so that I can give additional coupons. I have this idea where I want to, if someone beats a game, I want to give them what I'm calling mastery coin, maybe 10 mastery coins and maybe they're worth a dollar each. I don't know. But then you could enter the coupon and take additional discounts off of the next game. So even more incentive for people to finish the game, to complete yeah. the course. So then the next ones will be cheaper and they can just, or they can use it for swag. That's my idea. Eventually, uh, you know, buy a mastery games t-shirt using the mastery coin you've earned or whatever. So I built this coupon feature and the day after I shipped it, I got an email from a 10 year old kid who had hacked it. <laughs> he, he, he sent me this video. He was a genius, 10 years old. And he used this program. He proxied all his requests to this program called burp suite that um, basically doctors the, the server responses. He used that to trick my UI into thinking that Grit Critters was a free game, not a paid game. So he got the, he got the free enrollment screen, but he was too honest to click it. So he, <laughs> said, he sent me the video and said, and I freaked out, you know, of course, like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I didn't make this very safe. Luckily, I thought to verify, had he clicked it, it would have verified on the server, you know, before en right. enrolling him in the game. But he didn't know that. He thought he had, it gotten through and he was just honest. So I replied to him and I, I told him I granted him access to Greek critters for free. You know, I was so inspired by the kid. Like when I was 10, like I said, I was just trying to get out of weeding the garden. I wasn't <laughs> hacking web games just yeah. getting them for free. Crazy. So impressed. It's, it's really cool to have to be inspired by the people that you're serving. Also, one of the cool things about building for the internet is you just get so much scale. If you're building, something that reaches, you know, 10,000, 100,000, a million people, then it actually becomes pretty likely that you're going to experience like one in a million events. Like you're going to meet mm. extremely impressive people or extremely rare things are going to happen that are, you know, both good and bad. I've had all sorts of crazy bad things happen with any hackers, but like also a lot of really amazing people. And so there's kind of this like understated adventure aspect to doing something ambitious and building something for as many people as possible, where you're just going to meet really inspiring people like that. And it sounds totally. like your uh, your ambition is is sky high, right? You want to have a whole suite of games, and you want to have like a store, mm -hmm. and you want to basically spread as far and wide as possible. How do you do this by yourself? You know, do you plan on hiring other people, or is it just going to be the Dave Getty show forever? Right now, it's just me with some contracting help. But I would love that's where I want to go is have a a small studio, me and maybe four other people just working full time, cranking out these games. You know, I've been writing tools for myself that make building new games easier and more efficient, but nothing can beat having help. 
So yeah, I would love a little tight studio where we're just cranking out these mastery games. This is like the programmer's dream. I know so many programmers who like, they started coding because as kids, they played games and they're like, I would just yeah. love to make a game. And they get older, they're like, oh, working for like a game dev studio sucks. I guess I'm just going to be a web developer. Mm -hmm. But you figured out a way to like be a web developer and make games and do it for yourself and design everything with like, without needing permission from anyone. And you're actually getting paid <laughs> for doing this because like you didn't decide to give your game away for free. Like, you know, my brother did and asked for donations. Like you decided that you're actually going to charge money for this thing. I don't know if the donation model works. I don't think it does. Looking at how much he's making compared to you, it's uh, clearly not. I see a lot of like Patreon pages and things, people trying to go with the donation. Yeah, I don't know. I think, so I read this, I can't remember which book it was, but basically the idea was over time, the amount of gratitude someone feels towards you for something you gave them decreases. And over that same time, the amount that you feel that they should be grateful to you goes up. So there's this disconnect. You know, you give someone something awesome. Over time, they feel less and less grateful. You feel like they should be more and more grateful. And so donations come in a weird spot where it's like, okay, they can kind of clean their slate of that reciprocity by donating five bucks. Mm -hmm. And then they feel like, hey, I, I got what I wanted out of this, you know? Whereas a paid game sets a price or a paid product sets like, hey, if you really want to reciprocate, this is what this is worth. Yeah, I think there's something about donations where like you do feel really like kind of smug and good about yourself if you donate to something. You're like I did this person a favor. I do I didn't have to pay uh -huh. and I donated. Whereas if you pay a price, you're like, oh no, no, this is fair. They, they charge, you know, a hundred bucks and I paid a hundred bucks and it's fair and you don't feel like, you know, you've done this person a huge favor. I think also there's something to be said for when you put a price on your thing, you're you're telling people like this is valuable. You're kind of telling people that you think what you did was great. Um, whereas if you don't put a price on what you're you're producing, and you just sort of ask for money. You're kind of telling people, hey, this isn't really valuable, mm. but you know, I would love your money. I would love for you to help me. <laughs> and I think that's like the, for scraps a little bit. Yeah, this is the wrong message to send if you've built something that like actually is gonna help make people badasses or make people money or, or help them solve whatever problem. Oh yeah. If someone buys grid critters for ninety nine bucks and they master CSS grid in within the next ten days, they're gonna get that back so fast, whether they're building their own side projects or working for the man. I think there's a huge value proposition in, in there. And I think any product that you make needs to have something like that, where it just, in, it transforms the customer into the, someone who can make money themselves. I was talking to um, Tara Reed. She's a business where she's teaching people uh, how to be like no coders. So if you don't know how to code, but you want to mm -hmm. build apps regardless, like you take her course, uh, I think it's like a couple thousand dollars and she teaches you everything from how to use yeah, using Webflow and Airtable and Zapier and all sorts of different no-code products. And it works really well because she doesn't just teach people how to use the tools. She teaches people kind of like the business mindset. In fact, she teaches that first. Like you start off with the marketing and the growth type stuff before you start building anything. And one of the biggest lessons that she talks about teaching people is like this idea of positioning. Like how do you position and market what you're doing in such a way where people are actually going to feel like it's worth something of value and pay what it's worth? rather than people who are going to think that it should be free or only worth like five bucks. And I, when mm. I look at what you did, whether it's intentional or not, like the positioning is really, really solid. A lot of online games are free. You know, if I think about just like getting the game, I'm like, this should be free, you know, or if I think about like an app, I'm thinking like this should be a dollar. But like your games, despite being games, like you pretty much position them as if they are courses, which they really are. They're giving you the same value as a course. And for whatever reason, when people see a course, they immediately think, oh yeah, this is worth like a few hundred bucks. You know, this is worth a hundred bucks at least. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, like me interviewing other people who've made courses on the podcast, 
I've interviewed Wes Boss. He's got six or seven premium courses that just teach you things like how to master React or how to use, you know, learn beginner JavaScript or how to learn Node or whatever. And he charges like 80, 90 bucks for these courses. Uh, and he's got like literally tens of thousands of people who are acclimated to paying that much money to learn something really specific. And so I love the fact that like, even though there really weren't that many examples of paid games, like, yeah, maybe you weren't the first person to ever make a game to teach people to code, but like how many of those games are charging a hundred dollars? One of the things I did with Flexbox Zombies, even though it was free on the sign up page, I put the price, I put $229 and then it was crossed mm -hmm. out and then said free. So that's a little something I got from Sean West. He was, he basically says full price or free. And if you're going to give away something for free, Make sure people know what the value of it is. Super smart. Love it. Yeah, I signed up for that. And I, I thought I was in the wrong place because like, I thought Flexbox was, was free. Flexbox Zombies was free. And I saw the little price but crossed out and I saw free. I'm like, oh, that's super clever because now I feel much better about what I'm like. I'm like, I just got some value. And now it's like probably that's even more social capital where I'm like, man, like Dave really hooked me up. You know, I got in here for free. I don't even know why it's free. I'm like, oh, did I sneak in on the right weekend? Is there a promo? <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe it's not always going to be free. I better sign up like right now because uh, this $229 price tag. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it sets the expectation that, hey, these things are premium products. They take a long time to make. It's worth a lot. It's going to do a lot for you. But this one's on the house, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So how did you launch this game? Like you, you spent nine months making it. You had an email list. You had pre-orders. Were you like posting on Product Hunt or pinging your friends on Twitter to tweet about it? How do you get like that first group of users in the door? You know, by the time I launched that paid game, I had... 12,000 people on my email list and I was sending every couple of weeks I was sending an email showing behind the scenes like look at this cool concept art for uh, this cute little critter so I was kind of like building the hype while sharing stuff I was just excited about so that when I launched it people are like yes it's finally here a little bit like a Kickstarter you know you, right. you Kickstart something if it's something you care about you're excited to see all the updates so I was giving the updates kind of the reverse order I was giving the updates and then I opened up the pre-order and then I launched. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it was just an experiment. And if it didn't work out, I was going to go back to working at a job. But I was really hopeful that it would work out. And people would say to me like, oh, it's no big deal. If, if it fails, you can just get a job. To them, that sounds fine. But to me, that sounded awful. I'm just like curious how people were finding this besides just word of mouth. And if I search for something like uh, learn CSS grid, Grid Critters isn't on page one, but it's on page two. And it's like mm. not that far from the top. Pretty close to getting there. Like if anyone searches to learn CSS Grid, they're going to find your game. There's no like paid or there's no free version of Grid Critters, is there? No. I have in the past made the first chapter free so people could get a taste. And I'm probably going to do that again because I think that was, you know, people, they play the first little bit. They get the introduction to the story. People love stories, you know. Before branding these as mastery games, I called them story courses. I think the story gets you hooked, like, oh, what's going to happen? These little critters are on a dying planet. They need me to go and save them, <laughs> you know? I'm going to do that again, I think. I love that idea. I mean, also, you were mentioning, you know, CSS Tricks has, like, all these resources where you can just basically get, like, uh, a little table that tells you, hey, here's how to use CSS Grid or here's how to use Fuxbox whenever you forget something. And, like, you're so good at making these visuals and these interactions. Like, you could probably make a much cooler, better resource than anywhere else on the internet. And even have, mm -hmm. like, these little animations that are happening when people are, like, make your resources, like, a little interactive. And I bet you that would be, like, super shareable. Anytime anyone has a great question, they could, like, link someone to that. 
and that thing could be an upsell for one of your games. I'm just like my marketing brain is just like, what could you do yeah. <laughs> to give people like a little taste of how amazing your game is? Because like right now, there's no way for them to get into it. I know. I need to do more things like that. Like I said, I, I tend to just go into build mode instead of marketing mm -hmm. mode. I really need to optimize the SEO. I'm pretty sure I could get grid critters to the first page at least if I tried. But yeah, marketing, it's you can't neglect it. Unless you've got a, a super shareable game that everybody wants to share without you doing anything. Even then, sales, like I said, are up and down. The only correlation or only pattern I've noticed is when I send an email to my audience, then I make more sales. It's almost a one-to-one -one relationship. And what kind of emails are you sending to people? Like when do you send an email to your, your 70,000 subscribers? Usually I send it when I write a blog post. So I'll write a blog post and I'll send an email saying, hey, here's a new blog post. Like I just, I just launched one called How to Practice CSS, which shares a story about how my dad taught me how to learn oil painting by practicing great work from the masters. In my 20s, I applied that to learning CSS. I'd go to great websites that I thought were beautiful and I'd try to build them myself with CSS. So I go into more detail into that, but I'll send a blog post and then what I like to call just cool finds, just random stuff that I have found throughout the last couple of weeks. Most of it's usually tech, but sometimes I'll put a board game or a video game, a soda that I really like. It's just kind of like whatever, like here's something that I like. You might like it too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're basically marketing. This is marketing. You writing these That's blog marketing. posts and then sending it yeah. out to your newsletter. It sounds like you're already doing a lot of it. I just got to do it steady. Exactly. And it's such a good point about um, how to learn CSS and master CSS by basically doing the same thing an artist does. Find something good and copy it. I talked to Sam Parr, who runs The Hustle and The Hustle Trends, and also a, a podcast called My First Million. And he's like, he's got this really quirky strategy for learning how to write, where he's like, he literally, what was it? I think The Catcher in the Rye. He like read the whole book and then he copied it by hand. <laughs> he like wrote every single word of the book and a notebook. He's like, oh, I want to learn how to write. So I just copied that. No he's way. done that with like a bunch of like, and he's a super good writer. You know, he, like he writes good stuff and like he swears by that. Or um, learning how to code and like design stuff. I did the exact same thing you did. I would go online when I was much younger. I would see a website. I mean, that website's amazing. And then I would try as hard as I can to just make the exact same website. And I did yep. that probably a hundred times. And it's like, well, now like CSS is second nature to me and I have much better design sense. But like I got that from just literally copying all the things that I thought were great. And you're going to get really good at what I call in that article, um, broad strokes. You know, painters, they don't start with like fine details. You start, they start with these super broad strokes. The artist uh, Delacroix, Delacroix has this famous study of lions where, you know, he'll draw like the, the broad shape of the lion in just a few quick broad strokes. And then he goes in later and fills in the details. And you can do that same thing with CSS and the broad strokes is the overall layout, the overall composition which you're going to get with grid mostly, and then also Flexbox. And so that's why I picked those two things in my games. So you can master those broad strokes. So you can lay out the overall composition really fast and then focus on little details without having to pause and, and go right. look things up. That's such a great analogy. I'm looking at your blog post right now and there's like the sketch of the lion at the top. And it's yeah. just like, it's basically like, you know, six or seven ovals and circles and it looks just like a lion. It's better than any lion I could ever draw. And it's like these basic, Crazy, basic right? broad, broad strokes. Super cool. Well, listen, Dave, I could probably talk to you about this stuff forever. I've got so much <laughs> stuff in my notes I want to talk about, like how do you come up with an idea for a game and like these analogies from fun games to like cool programming concepts. So uh, maybe at some point I'll have you back on and we can hop into all these other topics. 
But to sort of wrap things up here, you've been you've been doing this for years now. You've had a long career as an indie hacker. You're full time. You're on your own. Uh, what do you think is something people should take away from your journey if they're just now getting started as indie hackers? Watch Disney movies. <laughs> no, I think I think that's my biggest thing is just try something. Just start. You know, don't wait around for the perfect plan. Find a plan, and you're not going to find out if it's good until you try it. So try it, and but don't be married to it. Try to find something that, pick something you're already kind of passionate about, like I was with video games. Try to find a way to, to make money from it. And what about somebody who like has gotten to the point where you were when you quit your job, where you're like, you know what, I am going to try this thing. But then, like you said, there's all these challenges, right? Things you might expect, mm. things you might not expect. There's hard times where you're like, I should just quit. This is ridiculous. A side project is a great, almost risk-free way of trying something out, seeing if you get some traction. But don't build the whole thing and then try to launch it to crickets. You know, Start with the audience. Start sharing what you're working on. Start building up your, your email list. And then you're going to be in a great spot. If you do want to quit your job, you're going to have people that already dig what you're working on. And when you launch it, you're probably going to make a few bucks and you'd be in a way better spot. Love it. So basically, number one lesson is to try. And if you're having trouble trying, start small with a side project where you can really just start with your audience and dip your toe in the water. And you're not risking your job and your livelihood uh, just to try something out. Yeah, totally. Oh, I, real quick, speaking of the coupon feature. So before we talked, I made a, a coupon that your listeners can use for Grid Critters if they want to check it out. So it's just Indie Hackers, one word, and that knocks. So the game's already on sale. 99 and that knocks 30% off of that. Nice. All right. Use so. ND code ND hackers on gridcritters.com. Get a yep. uh, significant percentage off. For 10 year olds out there, don't hack it. <laughs> yeah. Don't try to get it for free. <laughs> cool. I appreciate it. I'm sure listeners will too. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Dave. So good talking to you. Use well. Where can people go to find out sort of everything that you're working on? Because you've got numerous games and blog posts and stuff that you're writing. Yeah. So I recently rolled it all into one single url so it's mastery.games so my blog's there all my games are there um newsletter sign up all of it all right mastery.games dave thanks again for coming on the show okay thanks talk to you later